Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Reno, Nevada. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. In 1994, when Charlotte and Darren Mack met, it was as close to love at first sight as it gets. Charlotte was energetic and optimistic and able to bring out the best in anyone, while Darren was this larger-than-life personality who'd already established a really successful life for himself. I know we hear a lot about people lighting up a room, but Charlotte and Darren did. They were always smiling, well-dressed, and seemingly magazine-perfect. They were the couple that made you think, okay, that's what I want. Darren's family owned a business in downtown Reno. It was a pawn shop that had been in the family for years, and it was making really good money. Court documents stated that he was making $44,000 a month, and that's not including the stake he already owned in the business. Charlotte wound up working at the pawn shop with Darren and his family, and when the two got married a year or so after dating, it took almost no time for him to buy them a big, beautiful house. I'm talking million-dollar range. They definitely needed a big house because once they got married, Darren and Sharla became a family of four. He had two children from a previous marriage and Sharla was thrust into a ready-made family. Thankfully for her, she loved every second of it. She immediately took to her caretaking role and that goes for taking care of Darren too. According to an episode of American Monster right before your eyes, Darren was into bodybuilding. This meant that he would wake up early and hit the gym before anyone even thought about waking up. And once the rest of the world regained consciousness, Charlotte would cook special meals for him that went along with whatever diet he was on at the moment to cut down on body fat. Darren and Charlotte's life seemed to be going as perfectly as one could, and a few years into their marriage, they welcomed a daughter of their own. We're going to call her Sarah. She was Charlotte's entire world, and for all intents and purposes, Darren seemed to be a really loving father. According to a piece by Dahlia Lithwick in the Washington Post, they actually purchased a billboard for him that read, The Mack Family Presents Darren Mack 1998 Father-slash-husband of the year, a unanimous decision by his wife Sharla and his three wonderful children. Unfortunately, though, over the next few years, that perfect marriage was about to take a hit. A couple of hits. One night after a bodybuilding show, American Monster reports that Darren started to get a really bad headache. He wanted to lay down, but after he did, Sharla had a hard time waking him up. It was like this headache had spread into something that was affecting his entire body, and alarm bells started going off in her head. Instinct told her that she needed to get him to a hospital, and when they got there, she started screaming for help. And it's a good thing she did, because Darren had gotten bacterial meningitis and went into a coma. Had she not trusted her instincts and gotten him to a hospital as fast as she did, he would have died. It took months for Darren to make a full recovery, but court documents state that once he did, he actually went on the radio and publicly thanked her for saving his life. With a new shot at life, Darren wanted to live life to the fullest, and his version of the fullest was a lot different than Sharla's. Unbeknownst to most people, Darren and Sharla had been swingers. According to writer Amanda Robb with Marie Claire, the two would go to these clubs where they'd meet other couples, and you get it. But with Darren's health scare and their new little Sarah in the picture, Sharla was done with the swinging. 
She wanted a platonic marriage, but it doesn't look like Darren was on the same page. From what I can tell, he entertained the idea for a while, but it was wearing on him. On American Monster, you can see home video from Christmas 2002, where he asked their daughter Sarah to give her mom her Christmas present, and when Charlotte opened it, it was two Christmas ornaments with pairs of lingerie underwear inside. He also got her this diamond-looking belly necklace that he seemed to be really into, but it just wasn't her anymore. Charlotte was over it. She just wanted to do PTA mom stuff and live a nice, quiet life because her family was more than enough for her. With the drastic differences in the way that Darren and Charlotte wanted to live their lives, their relationship started to crumble. They were arguing constantly and not just at home. Darren's cousin told American Monster about a fight they'd had at the pawn shop that was so bad that they'd asked her to essentially referee. Before long, it became clear that there was no repairing their relationship and Charlotte decided she wanted out. In July of 2004, they officially separated and Charlotte stayed at their family home with Sarah while Darren went out and got a place of his own. Since this was a separation period, there was a lot of back-and-forth emotions. According to American Monster, Darren had sporadic moments where he'd regret the damage done to the relationship, but there were other times where that clearly wasn't the case. At one point, Charlotte and Sarah came home from being out of town, only to find that someone had clearly been in the house. She initially thought someone had broken in due to the state of the house, but quickly realized that it had been Darren. He'd come over with trailers and taken a bunch of stuff out, like their gym equipment. That doesn't seem like the biggest deal on the outside, an estranged husband wanting his gym equipment, but the way it was presented in the show seemed like he didn't exactly leave the house the way he found it. Her mom said that he ransacked it. Moving along in their separation, Charlotte went to have dinner with a man who told American Monster that while they were at a low-key restaurant, not one that you would regularly go to, Darren showed up and sat near them. Charlotte was pretty stunned and the guy she was with got really uncomfortable and the whole thing felt very I'm watching you, but there wasn't much anyone could do about it. Unfortunately, it got worse. Court documents reported on a time where Darren allegedly strangled Charlotte and her mother confirmed it on the show, saying that it was a few days after Thanksgiving in 2004 and that he'd done it in a parking lot. I haven't found any mentions of the situation surrounding the choking event, but Charlotte decided not to involve the police. Her mother telling American Monster that she didn't want to scar the children or negatively impact his life to the point where he couldn't financially support the family. And finances were a big issue, arguably the biggest issue in this case. Throughout their marriage, Charlotte had either worked with Darren's family at the pawn shop or stayed home with the kids taking care of everything they and Darren needed. Now that they were separated, she didn't have an income, and it's not like she was able to build a work experience portfolio to waltz into a career as soon as their marriage crumbled. They'd lived a pretty upscale lifestyle, and Darren's family money and business was the one that supported it. In May of 2005, Darren and Charlotte's divorce proceedings began, and it got ugly. 
Court documents report that of Darren's $44,000 a month income, he would have to pay Charlotte $10,000 a month in alimony for the next five years and 18% of his gross income in child support, which would be a little less than $8,000 a month. Both of them wanted the house they lived in, so that was tabled until the next hearing. But in the meantime, Darren would have to pay for all the costs associated with the house, like the mortgage, the electricity, and all of that stuff. But it doesn't look like he did. American Monster reported that he actually let the heat get cut off in the house, and Charlotte and Sarah would play camping in front of the fireplace. He also filed for bankruptcy three months later. It seemed a little hard to believe that on top of his business worth and monthly income of $44,000, Darren had gone completely broke in three months. But that was his story, and he was sticking to it. By their next hearing, the judge in their proceedings, Judge Weller, wasn't thrilled with Darren. American Monsters showed footage from their divorce hearings, and Darren, who is clearly pissed off and overusing his pointer finger, said that he'd been giving Charlotte $1,600 a month, and that was the best he could do, that he'd been put into an impossible situation, and that two out of every three dollars was being spent on her. Mind you, her includes his daughter. Judge Weller did a really good job at not feeding off of Darren's energy and essentially said that if he doesn't adhere to the order, he'll face jail time. Of course, Darren continued to argue that he couldn't pay money he didn't have, saying that he was only making $5,000 a month, which according to him, was barely enough to live on. So let's unpack that for a second. The house payment for their previously owned home, Charlotte had moved out at this point, would have been likely over $5,000 a month. But all of a sudden, his income had dropped to a point where even that was out of his budget. It made sense that Charlotte had lost her income since she'd been working for his family, but it made zero sense that he would have had a $44,000 to $5,000 a month decrease. Analyzing the order versus what he said in court, $18,000 a month would have been roughly 40% of his income. If he was actually only making $5,000 a month now and giving her $1,600, he was paying an even lower percentage of his income at 32%. If we do the math that 18% of his alleged $5,000 a month was going towards child support, he was only paying $900, which is $7,000 less than ordered, leaving $700 of it to go towards alimony, which was more than $9,000 less than he was ordered to pay. None of his arguments were adding up, and Judge Weller told him that he needed to start paying. When it came to custody of Sarah, Charlotte didn't want to keep her from her dad, but she was terrified of Darren having her address. In videos from American Monster, you can see her get emotional and actually cry when having to talk about making a ruling on custody because she was that scared of him knowing where she lived. The custody issue was tabled for the time being, which left them at a default of joint. Darren could have visitation without having to know where they were living. Darren was pissed. His resentment had been building and it was beginning to boil over. He started trolling the internet looking for dirt on Judge Weller, who he felt had become a personal enemy of his at this point. That's when he found a blog about Judge Weller written by a woman named Alicia. He and Alicia started talking, and by mid-2006, they were dating. You'd hope that with a new love interest, he might start moving on from his disdain for Charlotte and the judge, but no. According to court documents, he started telling Alicia that he thought Charlotte was sleeping with Judge Weller because she wanted to move to North Carolina with Sarah. 
Sharla had never requested to move out of state. She didn't even want them to make a decision on custody because she didn't want him knowing where she lived. The last hearing Darren and Sharla ever had was on May 24th, and it wasn't pretty. Darren left more pissed than ever, and a couple of days after that, went on some kind of back alley show where he was interviewed about his experience in the family courts. American Monster was able to get the footage, and in it, he says that his experience was so unbelievable that it was comparable to talking about Martians landing. Yes, he compared his custody hearings to aliens. He said that he was one of many whom Judge Weller had preyed on, using terms like tyranny and abuse, and said that Weller was the most talked about judge on the internet. Mind you, according to the Reno Gazette Journal, he had only been on the bench for about a year and a half at that point. The most eerie part of that interview was when someone behind the camera said to Darren, you're actually better off to murder your spouse and then plead insanity and be out in seven years and have your kids. Darren didn't verbally respond, but whether he knew or not, he was nodding his head up and down, and this video is the most blatant example of foreshadowing that I have ever seen. On June 12th, 2006, a 911 call came in saying that a judge had been shot in his office. But not just any judge, it was Judge Weller. And he hadn't been shot by anyone who had come in. He'd been standing by the window when a bullet pierced through, shattering the window and entering his body. In 911 audio from American Monster, you can hear someone say that a construction worker heard the bullet fly over him which meant that a sniper had shot Judge Weller. A sniper. This was a really big deal. You don't hear about snipers often, and as someone from Virginia, when the D.C. sniper was on the loose, it was pure chaos. Everyone was at risk, you never knew which county was going to be next, and everyone seemed to be getting shot at complete random. At gas stations, restaurants, schools, and parking lots, we were told to walk in zigzags, and you never knew where or when to hide. The idea that a sniper was on the loose in Reno, a massive city, was terrifying. The city shut down and the streets looked like something out of a war zone. There were SWAT officers everywhere, men with long guns and bulletproof vests, and armored trucks were everywhere you turned. They weren't sure where to look, but Judge Weller was about to give them a little direction. Because even though he had been shot, he was still alive. Police asked him if there was anyone who had any animosity towards him, and even though he's a judge and could probably think of a few, court documents report that his mind went straight to Darren. When they started looking into Darren, they realized that they had gotten a call from one of his friends, a man named Daniel, a couple of hours earlier. According to court documents, the previous day, June 11th, Darren had called Daniel to ask him to come by the next morning, the morning of the 12th, to pick up Sarah and take her to his mother's house. He said that Charlotte was going to be bringing her by at 9 a.m. and that he had some appointments to go to. Daniel agreed and he and his dog got to Darren's house a little before Charlotte did and when she pulled up to the house, Sarah came inside and Darren asked Daniel to take her upstairs so that he and Charlotte could talk alone. 
The two hung out for a while until Daniel heard his dog yelping. He went downstairs to check on what was going on, but when he found his dog, he was covered in blood. Assuming his dog had been hurt somehow, he started looking through his fur trying to find the injury, but there wasn't one. Around that same time, Darren came in from the garage and he had his hand wrapped in a towel. Instead of filling Daniel in on what was going on, like why there was blood on his dog or his hand was wrapped, court documents state that Darren brushed by Daniel and went into his room. Daniel was freaked out at that point. He didn't know what was going on, but he knew that it wasn't good. So he grabbed Sarah, who was eight at that point, put her in his car and left the house. When he left, Charlotte's vehicle was still parked out front. Shortly after Daniel left, Darren called him and asked if he could see Sarah. I want to point out here that Darren didn't ask Daniel where Sarah was. He just asked to see her. The three of them met at a Starbucks and Darren showed up in a Ford Explorer that wasn't his. He told Sarah that he loved her and after that he was gone. Still pretty freaked out about what was going on but not really knowing the details, Daniel took Sarah to Darren's mom's house as scheduled. When he got there, he told Darren's mom that he was worried about Sharla, but court documents state that she asked him to stop talking about her because she was getting scared. With that, Daniel called the police to let them know that he was concerned. Knowing that the judge had named Darren and they'd gotten this call from Daniel earlier in the day, two and two was not looking good. Officers headed over to Darren's house, meeting Daniel there, to try and make contact with either him or Sharla, but no one was answering the door. They tried calling the home phone, but no one answered, so they walked around the house to see if any of the doors were open, but they weren't. While looking around the outside of the house, officers noticed drops of blood in the driveway leading to the garage. Getting their own visual confirmation that someone might be hurt, they knew they needed to get inside. American Monster reports that they were able to enter the garage code, which I can only assume they were able to get from Daniel, and the opening of that door was a few seconds in time that felt like forever. As it slowly opened, they noticed a large pool of blood and ultimately, Sharla. She was dead and had several stab and slash wounds, at least seven of them. In a photo of her clothes from 8 News Now, you can see a clear cut through her shirt near her collarbone, and according to the forensic pathologist, a stab wound to her neck had cut her esophagus in half and had almost severed her trachea. She also had injuries to her forearm, wrist, elbow, and lower legs, which were wounds that looked like they'd come from trying to fight off an attacker. Something horrible had happened to Sharla, and it hadn't happened exactly where they found her. There were other pools of blood and a long drag mark in the garage. Also in Darren's garage was Sharla's vehicle. When detectives looked inside the vehicle, there was more blood. According to court documents, it was all over the driver's side of the car, on the steering wheel, the shift column, and her key fob, which they had found in the passenger seat. Along with everything else they had found, they also found Sharla's dog Sparkles, and she was still alive. With Sharla's body in the garage in a very bloody scene, officers entered Darren's house, clearing it room by room, but he was nowhere to be found. What they did find was a yellow piece of paper on the kitchen table. On the left side of the paper was what looked like a list of things to do. It included Dan, take Sarah to his mom's name, end problem, 
put Lex in the garage slash lock home, Charlotte drove a Lexus, parking garage if yes, and attorney's office. On the right side of the paper was a list under the word equip like equipment. It read Bushmaster 223 clip, flak vest, black vest, USAS 2 plus clips, 45 plus 2 clips, 40 cal plus clips, 243 plus ammo, and 22 rifle plus ammo. After finding that note, it felt like there was no question as to who was responsible for Charla's murder and Judge Weller's shooting, because Darren had gotten Dan to take Sarah to his mom's house, and problem is ominous and speaks for itself, and Judge Weller had been shot at from a parking garage, 515 feet away from his office. Detectives had pulled the security footage from the parking garage the morning the judge was shot, and court documents state that they caught a Ford Explorer that drove up to the fifth floor at 10.42 a.m. It backed into a spot that faced the judge's office, the rear hatch opened at 10.56 a.m., closed six minutes later, and drove off. If you recall, Darren had shown up to that Starbucks to see Sarah driving a Ford Explorer. And during a search warrant on his house, they found a receipt for that rental car, and it had been checked out five days prior and was supposed to be returned the next day. They also found what court documents describe as hostile information about Judge Weller, an empty dagger sheath on the floor of the master bedroom closet, and MapQuest directions to Judge Weller's home and Charla's attorney's house. At this point, there was an all-hands-on-deck manhunt for Darren. He was added to the FBI's most wanted fugitive lists, and he was absolutely a fugitive. He was long gone and had headed south into Mexico. Court documents state that his first stop was Ensenada, Mexico, where he parked the Explorer in a parking garage. He then made his way down to Cabo San Lucas, where he stayed in a nice resort for a few days. He was literally on vacation around other people on vacation who had absolutely no idea what he had just done. After staying at the resort for a few days, he left and made his way down to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, until June 17th when he made a call to the DA's office and told them that he wanted to surrender. It took the FBI a few days to get down there, but at 10.30 p.m. on June 22nd of 2016, Darren Mack met agents in the lobby and turned himself in. He was charged with open murder and attempted murder. The open murder charge gave them room to decide on the degree from first down to manslaughter. He was taken to Texas and eventually back to Nevada, where he was booked into jail. It took more than a year for Darren to stand trial, and when he did, the prosecution presented their case. They told the jury that Darren had planned the attacks, renting the Explorer, asking Daniel to take Sarah to his mom's, and citing that list as a pretty damning piece of evidence. Once the prosecution rested and it was time for Darren to present his defense, there was a change of plan. Though appeal documents state that they had a list of people willing to testify to Charlotte's character throughout their relationship, including claims that she was abusive and had allegedly talked about hiring a hitman or two, Darren didn't want to go through with it. Instead of continuing with the trial, Darren pled guilty to the first-degree murder of his wife and took an Alfred plea to the attempted murder of his residing family court judge, Judge Weller. An Alfred plea is where the defendant maintains their innocence, but acknowledges that there's enough evidence to convince a judge or jury that they're guilty. 
As for sentencing, when combined, both charges left Darren with 36 years to life in prison, but he has fought it since the day it was handed down. From what I can put together between court documents, it looked like Darren wasn't happy with his defense, which, by the way, he paid more than a million dollars for. He claims that they were going to have him claim self-defense for Charla's murder and insanity to the attempted murder of Judge Weller. Court documents state that he planned to testify that when Charla got to the house, they met in his driveway and that she had gotten verbally abusive with him and followed him into the garage where they got into a violent argument. Keep in mind, 8 News Now reports that their court order prohibited either of them from getting out of their vehicles during custody exchanges. In the garage, Darren claims that Charla assaulted him with an object to the right side of his face. He claims that his right eye was messed up for 10 days, but it managed to heal before his smiling mugshot because his eye certainly looks fine there. While he claims Charla was attacking him, he says that he fell to one knee, and when he did, his revolver fell out of his pocket. When he stood up, I've seen a couple of different reports, one saying that he pushed her in the chest, and another claiming that Charla grabbed the gun and pointed it at the right side of his stomach at which point they wrestled over the gun and he grabbed her hair. Darren claimed to be terrified and that he grabbed the dagger that he always kept with him and stabbed Charlotte with it. Charlotte was stabbed not once, but at least seven times and had what clearly appeared to be defensive wounds. After stabbing Charlotte, Darren claims that he wrapped his cut finger, took his bloody clothes off, took a shower, got dressed, and got himself a drink of water. In court documents, he stated that he was parched. His entire mouth was parched. Once hydrated, he says that he realized what he had done and that he needed to get out of there and possibly head to the mountains, which is why he says he grabbed his guns and ammo. He also realized that he needed to hide Charlotte's car since it was out front, that he needed to roll the window down so Sparkles wouldn't suffocate, and that he needed to move Charlotte's body to get her vehicle in the driveway. When he went to move her, Darren claimed to have noticed that the gun that fell out of his pocket was now caught in Charlotte's hair with blood all over it. I could go through a whole conversation I had with a firearms instructor about the likelihood of that happening, but I'm sure you're already there. He said that he yanked it out of her hair and then he had to pull bloody hair out of it and then put the bloody hair onto the counter. He said that he tried to clean the blood off the gun and the knife and the floor, but none of it was working, so he just wrapped the gun and knife in a towel so that they wouldn't get blood on his rental car. The rental car that he did not take to the mountains and instead drove to Mexico in and left in a parking garage. For the record, he claims to have ditched the knife and the gun in a landfill. Circling back to that yellow sheet of paper with the list on it, Darren says that everything written under equip on the right side of the paper was a list that he had previously written of things they wanted to inventory for the pawn shop. It was not labeled inventory, it was labeled equip, and happened to include the same caliber of gun used to shoot Judge Weller with. He claims that he wrote the list on the right-hand side to help him make sense of everything that had just happened. 
Unfortunately for him, it's hard to explain his entry of end problem when claiming self-defense in the past tense. Not to mention the parking garage listed when he just so happened to then use a parking garage across the street from the Justice Center to shoot the judge. The search warrant find of the MapQuest directions to Judge Weller's house and Charlotte's attorney's home did not do him any favors. Throughout Darren's appeals, he made several different claims. Through his ineffective counsel complaint, he said that he wanted his defense to find the gun and knife to help corroborate his story somehow, but says that they didn't. He also claims that one of his friends tried to find it, but that his defense told the friend to stop. He also claims to have asked his defense to hire a CSI team to recreate a scene consistent with self-defense, but they didn't. On top of all of that, 8 News Now reports that according to a family member, the signature on Darren's plea deal was forged. I spoke to an attorney who basically said that that argument would fall flat on its face since he would have had an entire hearing about the terms of his deal. Every single attempt Darren has made for an appeal has been denied. The Reno Gazette Journal did a piece on Judge Weller in 2016, and in the year since the attack, he went on to get his master's degree and then doctorate in judicial studies. His focus was on domestic violence and court security, wanting to learn as much as he could about both subjects and better understand situations like his and Sharla's. As of 2020, 8 News Now reports that Darren's son maintains that his father killed his stepmother in self-defense and has an attorney that is working pro bono for free to try and get him a new trial. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Charlotte's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episodes and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.